Advances in digital technology are transforming the way we all do business, and location is fast becoming the nerve centre of the digital future. Why? Because in our global environment, location matters. And most data includes a location component that, when unlocked, will open new lines of inquiry, analysis, and understanding. Welcome to the Locate Podcast, where we share with you a deep dive into the lives, motivators, and future legacies of some of the key players at the Locate Conference, Australia's annual national gathering for custodians of location data creation and management. Locate conferences have been bringing together geospatial and surveying professionals to connect collaborate and learn about cutting-edge industry developments and insights since 2014. Locate conferences provide three days to deep dive into geospatial technologies and harness the power of location. Dr David Gruen was appointed Australian Statistician on the 11th of December 2019. As Agency Head of the Australian Bureau of Statistics, he is accountable for the functions and operations of the Bureau. David was previously the Deputy Secretary, Economic and Australia's G20 Sherpa at the Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet. Before joining the Department in September 2014, he was Executive Director of the Macroeconomic Group at the Australian Treasury. David joined the Treasury in January 2003 before which he was the head of the Economic Research Department at the Reserve Bank of Australia from 1998 to 2002. Before joining the Reserve Bank, David worked as a research scientist in the Research School of Physical Sciences at the Australian National University. With financial support from a Fulbright postdoctoral fellowship, David was visiting lecturer in the Economics Department and the Woodrow Wilson School at Princeton University from August 1991 to June 1993. He holds a PhD in Physiology from Cambridge University, England, and in Economics from the Australian National University. We're thrilled that Dr Gruen will be presenting in the session Technology and Transformation with a keynote titled Building Geospatial Data Capabilities Across the Australian Public Sector. So thank you so much, David, for joining us on today's podcast episode. How are you today? I'm very well. No complaints. It's a very nice day in Canberra, so I'm very well. Brilliant. So I'm really interested to ask you, how did you discover geospatial and why do you personally feel that it's an important area? So I think probably I would date my discovery of geospatial to when I was a deputy in Prime Minister and Cabinet a few years ago. And I think the development as part of the Joint Agency Task Force, which was set up in August 2018 to respond to the very widespread droughts that Australia was experiencing at the time, and a data unit in Prime Minister and Cabinet, along with help from Data61 and others, developed the National Drought Map. And I just remember thinking that that was a powerful visual tool to help people get a sense of what was available to support communities in drought and basically a visual way of presenting information that would have been a lot less compelling had it been presented in a table or in a series of documents. It was just a good way to present information and it was quite flexible. So you could 
look at it in different ways. So I remember thinking that that was a kind of advance. It's almost certain that I've seen maps like that somewhere else before, but I do remember that being influential. And I guess so I've now been at this Bureau of Statistics for two years. And in that time, there's been quite a lift in our interest and involvement in geospatial information. It would be fair to say that my interest in all things geospatial has been growing. And this year's theme for Locate 22 is Location in Action, Positioning the Nation for a Brighter Future. Why do you feel that geospatial is important for Australia's future prosperity, economically, socially and environmentally? And what role does the ABS play in this? Well, as the ABS is getting increasingly interested in geospatial data, it's always had an interest in geospatial data at some level. And certainly the geospatial aspect of the census is always an important aspect to the extent that we can provide information at small areas. The census is something that obviously the Bureau has been collecting. The first census was in 1911. And so there's been a geospatial angle. And the same is true of our environmental team, where the geospatial element of the environment is critical. And increasingly, we're getting involved in working on issues that have a geospatial angle. I guess one common theme, which is across all of what the ABS does, is Obviously, we're known for producing official statistics, but increasingly the digital revolution has made possible access to data sources that go by the generic name of big data. The general idea that digital platforms as part of operating generate large amounts of data, and very often that data has a geospatial angle. So you get information about people's interactions in ways where you also know exactly where that interaction has happened, and therefore it's got a geospatial angle. And a lot of the richness and power of those data sets is the fact that you have information about exactly where these things are happening. Now, not only does that generate powerful insights, but it also generates issues to do with privacy and making sure that you treat the data in a way that does not reveal information about individuals or, for that matter, individual companies. And so it generates both some challenges to make sure that you are careful in how you aggregate data, but also it's a much richer set of data and it can therefore provide information at a much more granular level than surveys, which often just don't have enough power to provide really high-quality geospatial information. David, your keynote presentation at Locate 22 will be about data and digital revolution. What new data streams do you see as most useful and important to supplement and work together with ABS data, for example, social media, earth observations for property and land use change, etc.? So I'm going to talk at the Locate 22 conference about building the geospatial specialty in the public service, but that definitely resonates with the idea of there being data and digital revolutions that are driving the need for having more people with this sort of expertise. Um, And it is worth talking in a bit of detail about some of the new sorts of data sources which have a, a geospatial element. So let me give you some detail on this. Obviously, the Australian Bureau of Statistics is known for many things, but one of the things that we do to produce 
data on employment and unemployment is that we run a survey of about 28,000 households, which turns out to be about 50,000 individuals every month and produce results after about six weeks for changes in employment and changes in unemployment. Now, the reason I'm going into some detail here is to kind of contrast it with a new data source that we got access to early in the pandemic, which was data from the single touch payroll system that all large businesses and a majority of small businesses, when they're reporting to the Australian tax office, digital platform, which enables them to give information on the wages they've paid, the employment of all their employees, and the super and and the tax that they've paid. And and as I say, each business does this every time they run their payroll, and usually it's automatic. So with an agreement of the Australian Tax Office, the Australian Bureau of Statistics got access to this data. So this data tells you the employment experience of slightly more than 10 million Australians. So you can compare that with our labour force survey, which is 50,000. The single touch payroll is just slightly more than 10 million. So those are very different orders of magnitude. It gives you a sense of what people mean when they talk about big data. Often big data means that you have got information about a truly, it's not quite every employee within the country, but it's not far off. Now, why am I telling you all this? Well, obviously, single touch payroll data comes with geospatial information. We are careful to make sure that we respect the privacy of individual employees. So we make sure that we do some aggregation. So we're not publishing results on individuals. But you can imagine with roughly 10 million employees, we can cut the data in all sorts of ways. Now, some of those ways are not to do with geospatial. Some of them might be age or industry, but others are looking at the employment experience of statistical areas. So you can therefore look at where there's been employment growth right across the country in a way where location is critical. And you can look at which parts of the country are seeing strong growth or in the case of the COVID pandemic, which parts of the country were suffering particularly severely at times when states were being locked down. So I guess that's just giving you an example of where a new data source provides complementary information to information that we have collected for a very long time. So the Labor Force Survey has been going monthly since 1978, and the single touch payroll data, we've been publishing that fortnightly since April of last year. So one has been going for a very long time, but the other one is new and provides a level of location information you simply can't get with a survey. So that's one example, but there are lots of other good examples. We're in the process of looking in detail at new big data sources. Tax office is one source of those data, single touch payroll, but also business activity statements. We have started publishing a monthly business turnover index, which is based on the BAS statements that companies submit to the tax office. Now, at this stage, we're publishing that at a national level, but again, the information is very rich and over time, we'll be able to provide information that's coded by location. The other source of information that we are getting access to is bank transactions data 
And we've been working with the major banks to get access to the transactions of their customers, both businesses and individuals. And we're in the process now of developing an index for household consumption, which will be much broader than the retail trade index, which is our historical uh, survey-based measure. So those are just some of the examples. But let me talk a little bit more about some of the other ways in which new data sources are becoming important. And one of those is the, the new Australian Climate Service, which is a virtual information centre, and that's a tie-up between ourselves, uh, Geoscience Australia, the Bureau of Meteorology and CSIRO to provide high-quality information on natural disasters and climate-related changes that are occurring to the natural environment. So this is a new initiative, and by its very nature, the information that our customers want is very much uh, location-specific information because it's critical to have detail. For instance, if there's a bushfire and you know the location of a burn scar, you want to know in detail what is inside that burn scar. Or for that matter, if there's a prospect of floods or the prospect of, um, of cyclones, all of these to the extent that the information is valuable, it's valuable because it's geocoded and you can provide detailed location-specific information about exactly what is going on. And so this is an important new initiative, as I said, um, jointly with these four organisations, that's going to provide high-quality information that's just not available in any other way. Uh, well, it's done a couple of things. First of all, it's it has very much strengthened the relationship between Geoscience Australia and the ABS because a lot of what we're doing is making sure that we're in a position to provide geocoded information to Geoscience Australia and all the other members in such a way that, that you have a single source of truth and that the systems that we operate on are compatible with each other so that we can provide one feed on this sort of information rather than separate pieces of information from the four agencies, which is not going to be fit for purpose. And in principle, again, it's a function of the digital revolution. Many of these new sources of data are a function of technological advance that's made possible access to information that previously uh, simply didn't exist. And I think in some sense, the sky's the limit. We are looking carefully at the sources of information that we think are particularly prospective, but there will be new sources of information. Earth observations, you mentioned that, satellite imagery. And so to the extent that those new sources of information provide high quality observations about things that are relevant to the landscape or population centers or any of that sort of stuff, I think it's very much a case of learning what those new sources of information are and using them to the extent possible. And I think this is definitely an area where, A, there's going to be close collaboration between Geoscience Australia and the Australian Bureau of Statistics, but also it's an area of expanding interest for the community more broadly because we've had access to aggregate information or state-level information for a long time but the capacity to provide high quality information at a more uh, location specific level is clearly very valuable and is becoming increasingly possible. My attitude to new data sources is 
that often someone who knows a lot more about the space industry than me has a bright idea about something that might be valuable and they pitch the idea. So uh, one of the things that we have to do uh, as the ABS is we keep a up-to-date register of business and residential locations. And of course, what happens is that if you think about someone knocking down a house and then building a block of flats, or for that matter, taking an empty block and building a house on it, there's enough of that happening that every three months or so, we get updated information on all the changes that have occurred to the residential landscape. And we used to employ individuals to pour over this stuff and work out this particular block was vacant last time I looked, now it's got a house on it, or this particular block used to be a house and now it's a block of flats. So we have high quality uh, pictures. uh, And now what we do is use AI uh, and machine learning to do this for us. And every now and again, the, the machine learning will say, I'm not sure, get a human to look at it. They don't say that, the program does that, but you get the meaning. But that has massively improved our capacity to keep up to date the register of where there are individual houses, where there are blocks of flats, et cetera. That's great. That sort of approach to innovation has a really strong ability to allow adaptation towards new technologies and disruptive technologies and use data to make a difference to the world. Speaking of property, digital twins are a really hot topic right now. And ABS data will be used to bring people into digital twin data. How do you see this happening in a way that maintains privacy? And what do you see as the role of the ABS data in the range of digital twin initiatives across Australia? So I guess the digital twin uh, initiative that we are most involved in at the moment is the digital atlas, which GA is driving. And We are very much invested in helping to make the Digital Atlas as successful as it possibly can be. And that's going to enable people to get the high quality geo-referenced data via the web, which is the aim of the Digital Atlas. And from the ABS's point of view, we're going to be adding population demographics, business entry and exits, labor market data, land cover and land use. Those are the sorts of things that we're going to be contributing to the digital atlas. And on the privacy aspect, again, it's the principles that are critical. And usually our approach is to provide information that is local, but sufficiently aggregated that it protects the privacy of individuals. So if you go down to the SA1 level, of which there are about 62,000 SA1 areas across the country, those areas have between 200 and 800 people in each SA1 area. So the point about aggregating up to 200 to 800 people is that it keeps the privacy of any individual or even a small group. You don't find out any detailed information about individuals or for that matter, a family you find out the averages over 200 to 800 people. So I think that's the answer to the question. Our role is to provide some high quality 
demographic and other sorts of information to round out the digital twin, if you like, but in a way that makes sure that privacy is not compromised. David, you're a strong advocate for partnerships between business, academia, communities and government in order to make the best use of data to inform decision making. Why do you feel that this is so important and what does it look like? So I think the answer to that is that there are lots of public policy problems that are likely to be better resolved if you're in a position to get access to high quality data and often integrated data assets, by which I mean data assets where there's more than one data set being linked up in order that you can examine a problem from more than one perspective. So integrated data assets is one of the approaches to difficult public policy problems. And integrated data assets often involve different data custodians. So to the extent that you're integrating data from different sources, it has to be a partnership in which the data custodians trust the data integrator and make sure that protections are in place so that the data is used responsibly. So that's a way in which there are partnerships formed often amongst Commonwealth departments, but sometimes Commonwealth departments and state and territory entities. And then there are partnerships that go beyond governments. And I gave an example of bank data in earlier. Increasingly, the private sector has data assets which they collect as part of doing business, but which have huge public policy value. So they haven't collected them for the public policy value. They've collected them for their own perfectly legitimate purposes to improve the customer service for their customers and to understand the nature of their business. But because of their reach, provided these data assets are used in a responsible way, they have the capacity to generate enormous public value. And my example of coming up with a better household consumption index using bank data is just a simple example of that. So I'm kind of a big believer in partnerships to responsibly get access to different sorts of data. I guess the Australian Climate Service is a very good example of a partnership. It's pretty new. And as I said earlier, what we're talking about here is a partnership between four Commonwealth agencies, a Bureau of Meteorology, Bureau of Statistics, Geoscience Australia and CSIRO. And together, we're forming what is going to be a, an information source for information about natural disasters. So that's kind of a good example of collaboration, but there are lots of examples of collaboration. Hopefully, there will be increasing collaborations with the Intergovernmental Agreement on data sharing, there'll be increasing collaboration between Commonwealth and states. And I think also there'll be increasing collaboration between private sector holders of data and public sector because of the public value that can be generated. As head of the Australian public service data profession, and the ABS is the lead agency here, what do you see as the vision and outputs from this over coming years? What do you feel it might look like in 10 or 20 years time? Prediction is difficult, particularly about the future, and 10 or 20 years is a long way ahead. So let me just give a little bit of context. The 30 review into the public service, which dates back a couple of years, it reported a couple of years ago to the government. One of the things it recommended was that the public service would benefit from professionalization in a range of areas. The government supported this recommendation of the 30 review. And the first three professions are HR, digital, and data. And the idea being that in each case, 
the head of the profession and the professional stream is designed to try and provide pathways for people with those skills to progress through the public service, broaden their range of skills, and for the whole enterprise to be professionalized. So there are lots of elements of this, and let me just talk about a few of them. One of them is that we're now recruiting into the public service, not only people who want to go into the generalist stream, but people who specify that they would like to be an HR grad or a data grad or a digital grad. And just speaking about the data graduate intake, for the next year's intake, we had 2,400 graduates apply to be a data graduate in the APS, which is an enormous number of people who have an interest in working as a data graduate. Now, a data graduate can be many things depending on what department you end up in. But the fact that we had so much, I was impressed with just how many graduates put their names down to try and come into the data stream. Now, we are not going to recruit 2,400 people into the public service. There is a centralized process for interviewing and then recruiting data grads. And we had about 24 departments and agencies sign up to this process for the 2022 intake. As a consequence of that, we've made offers to more than 200 people. So one of the things the data profession has been doing, it's a joint effort between the ABS and a bunch of other departments, but basically a process by which we bring people in who specifically want to work on data. So that's one initiative. Another initiative is, and we've been doing this, we are having two-way secondments for people who've got data skills to go and work for, say, three months in another data-rich environment in the public service, perhaps in a place that they don't know much about, but which is also data-rich. There are a large number of entities within the public service that are now quite sophisticated when it comes to data. And so the idea of having two-way secondments in which people at sort of middle levels broaden their horizons, learn about how other organizations run their programs, and then come back to their home department or agency and have built stronger links with the other place and have learned things that they didn't know they didn't know. So that's a second initiative. A third initiative is we think that as well as data professionals, it's important for the broad leadership of the public service to have more familiarity with data concepts than they currently have. So we've got a program for SES to take part in a short course that we've helped design with the ANU. And so far, we've put 70 SES through that short course, and we are using the feedback from those short courses to improve this offering. But that's a specific example of the general idea that the profession wants to collate the offerings from which may be learning offerings, learning and development offerings, which may have a data angle. So they may be things that are produced by the APS Academy, or they may be things produced by individual departments, or they may be things produced by tertiary institutions. So what we want to do is to collate these offerings. And I'm keen, since this is the data profession, to use something like a TripAdvisor style way of people who've done these courses providing feedback on what they thought about them. I think there are huge benefits in having 
feedback that would be of benefit to other people who are potentially interested in doing those courses. So that's another in shift. So there are a series of other things. And for people who are interested, I would send them to the APSC website where you will find the data profession page. And there are all sorts of things, including I'm running an in-conversation series in which I interview people for whom data has played an important part in their professional lives. And I'm interviewing people both in the public sector and in the private sector. And location information is, if you like, a subgroup of this, but an important one. So my sense is location information is something which is a growth area in data for all the reasons we've talked about. And so people who are interested in geospatial experts are people who, you know, I would encourage to take part in the data profession and help to drive uptake amongst people with those sort of expertise. That is extremely interesting, David. That feels like one could spend a serious amount of time watching those videos and listening to these things. And it's great work that you're doing. What do you see as the biggest strength of our geospatial industry? So I think technology has very substantially increased the promise of geospatial data because there are all sorts of platforms and mechanisms for collecting data that simply didn't exist that have made it cheaper and faster and have made geospatial information higher quality and of more value. So it's a growth industry. It's a growth area. And it's one where I think we will see lots more advances in coming years and we will see lots more insight. Aggregate statistics and aggregate information has its place, not to downplay its importance, but to the extent that you can provide geospatially enabled information, there are just all sorts of circumstances in which that provides a level of richness and a level of granularity that you can't get anywhere else. And what excites you most about the future of the geospatial industry? Well, I guess hopefully you can tell from my answers to previous questions that this seems to me to be an area where there's enormous promise. Certainly at the ABS, we are putting significantly more resources into this area. We've set up a branch which looks specifically at location insights. It's got 50 people in it. So we've got a significant number of resources that are dedicated to this information. They work on things to do with the digital atlas, things to do with the Australian Climate Service, and also the Australian Statistical Geography Standard. And then there are other parts of the Bureau of Statistics like Census, where location-specific information is a significant part of the offering. And obviously, we're going to be seeing the results from the National Census, and for that matter, also the Agricultural Census. So there'll be a whole lot of new data provided starting in the middle of 2022 from those two censuses. So it's exciting because there's lots of opportunity, and we're going to get insights that we didn't kind of know anything about because of the capacity of people to be able to geocode things and then provide insights at a local level that are uh, different from the sort of insights you get from aggregate information. Thank you very much, David. It has been such a pleasure to speak with you today. I feel like I've learned a lot about what is happening at the moment with the Australian Public Service Data Profession and the ABS, and I'm really excited to hear your keynote at Locate 22. Thank you very much, Roshni. Thank you.